day, wherever you may be around the world, and thank you for your company once again on truth That's truth2letteru.org. I'm Jono, and joining me is my very good friend and co-host of the Tanakh Tours, Ross Nichols. G'day, mate. Hey, Jono. How's it going? Uh, I'm missing Israel. We should be there right now. And it, uh, did you, it, I have seen so many cool pictures of the two of us yeah. together with so many lovely people. And all day I've thought about it. What we have got to get back. I don't know what we've got to get back. Um, I've got. Uh, I've been searching through photos. Oh, do you know what? I found a whole lot of stuff um, from Anita. G'day, Anita. Uh, Anita hey, Sweet. Anita. Because uh, and, and actually, anyone can find this. I think uh, just look up uh, hashtag Tanakh Tour or Tanakh Tour. Hashtag Tanakh Tour. I was going to say and Justin. Justin and Justin. Yeah. Hey, Justin. <laughs> But she had a whole lot of videos that I hadn't seen before, and they were videos of us at Calibre 3. Um, So I was really excited to find those. Uh, Anyway, so as it turns out, um, we're not there. And we're not there because stupid COVID. Boy, I'm over COVID. Really am. But uh, we're definitely going this time next year, and the bus is already half full. We would love for you, dear listeners, to come with us. But as I said, the bus is already half full, so you've got to be quick. Uh, just go to tanaktours.com, or you can get there from truthtoyou.org. There are links, and you can definitely sign up and be with Ross, myself, and Rabbi Tavia Singer in the land this time next year. Really looking forward to that. Now, we put it out to you, the listener, uh, to let us know what is on your mind. Uh, what questions do you have regarding the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, for which you would like a simple, straightforward answer? No hints, no types, winks, or shadows, just the text in as much as we can. Um, there's no question too controversial. There probably is, but we haven't encountered it yet. That's you right. can we, try. If it is, we just ignore it, but we'll try. Yeah. <laughs> there's no topic too taboo uh, yet. Um, but challenge us. If you have a question that you would like us to address, uh, please leave it in the comments section of this show on truthtoyou.org. And, uh, you know, God willing, we'll get to it. Uh, g'day to Piper Kelly, Travis Reed, Mary Ann, David Conley, Cynthia Simmons, Pam Satcher, Miriam Cormier, and Lopez Paul, all of which have tabled excellent questions. We can't do them all uh, no. in one program. Uh, well, we could. It'd be a really long program, Ross. That, and then what else would we do the next week? I mean, we That's have right. to stretch these out a little bit, right? got to stretch them out a bit. Uh, so today we're we're just going to kick off with a question from Travis Reed. G'day, Travis. Uh, hey, and Travis, th- what's going on? He's a good guy, like Travis. Um, it is as follows. This is the question. Tra- Travis, ready? wait, 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 wait. Travis yeah. has a really cool motorcycle. He's got a Harley Davidson. Yeah, he does. I've never, he? I've never had a Harley Davidson, but when I see him go by, I always think, man, that's really cool. But his is especially cool, Jono, because get this. When he's riding, he's got sound going inside his helmet. He's not being a distracted driver, but just like you would have, you know, if you're driving your car. And he sent me a photograph where uh, he and uh, some friends were out riding one Sabbath, and he's listening to my class, and he's got the digital imprint says United Israel. So that that makes Travis even more cool. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. (laughs) Excellent. All right. This is a great question. Where in the Torah, okay, where in Torah do we see the concept of a Messiah King? I like the way he puts that, the concept of a Messiah King. Why in Judaism and Christianity is so much focus on a Messiah? All right. Really good question. Here we go. Here's the answer. It's not 
we don't know why they're focused on it. What was the next question? That was a really quick show, and we're really glad that you tuned in. And tune in next time for another hey, thanks, exciting Travis. episode. Hey, yeah, thanks, Travis. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen, just to get a little bit, because we, we actually have touched on this before in our Kingdom Chronicles series, uh, which we'll yep. probably get back to, um, by the yep. way. The reason why we're not doing that on a re- regular basis, I, I'll just let everyone know before we get into Travis's question, okay. is because uh, you're writing a book, which I'm oh, yeah. exceptionally excited about. Uh, I think, really, I mean, Truth to You has promoted a lot of books over the years. This one I am most excited about. I've never been excited about a book like this, uh, and I'm just so eager for it to be published, and we're hoping uh, that we're going to see it published in the coming months. And yep. um, uh, But it really is. So you've been pouring a whole lot of effort into that. Uh, so you've sort of seen us come and go, dear listeners, and that's the reason why. It, um, it really is my fault, and that and that is true. And it's so hard because uh, this book – I really hope that Jonah's right. I believe that too. I think it's really going to be exciting. I think people are going to love it. Uh, but the, the the whole thing is when I get into that mode, I have to do it when I'm inspired and I'm really, really rolling. It's hard for me to take a break and shift gears and all. So that's been, it's really kind of put a, a squash on some of the things we want to do, but I'm, I'm working on it. So when you're in the zone, you're in the zone, you can't be can't be interrupted. Um, right. Any case, so so yeah, the question is, where in Torah do we see the concept of Messiah King? Why in Judaism and Christianity is so much focus on the Messiah? Firstly, Ross, definition of terms. Yes. Uh, I like that Travis uses Messiah King, two words. What are they in Hebrew? What do they mean? Okay, it, and I agree. I think that that's the great way to lay it out. And and I happen to know that Travis is a great Bible student, so he, he probably is setting us up uh, to help us help other people understand this. So Messiah in Hebrew is based off of a root word, mashak. Uh, mashak means to, to rub or to smear. And it can, it can be rub or smear with anything, or even to some degree when, when a, a liquid if, is poured onto an object. Um, but Mashak is uh, a word that doesn't have to be parochial. In other words, it it doesn't really have to be a religious idea. As I said, you can you can put paint on a wall in the Hebrew Bible, and the word there is tied to the root word mashak. Uh, the word king generally is melech. It's tied to a word malak, which means to rule or to reign. So. Now, the two it, are never used together in the Hebrew, in the Torah. That's a good point. Yeah. The, the, now, they're both used, which I think we ought to get into, but I, I wanted to make one, one other statement. The real question, when people talk about Messiah, it's the Hebrew Mashiach, mm-hmm. Mashiach, which is typically translated anointed or anointed one. And I wanted to say that we have plenty of opportunities to go through. We'll go through a couple of texts if we have time. But the bottom line is, is that there are objects which can be anointed. This, this word is used quite often of wafers. You know, if you work through the books of Exodus and Leviticus mm-hmm. and Numbers, you find all these examples uh, of objects associated with the tabernacle, which have oil on them. They're set apart for a sacred purpose. They're anointed. Now, I wanted to ask a question, because this would be kind of fun for a trivia. 
what is the first Messiah in Scripture? Now, just kind of gave a In as far as an object or a person? person. Okay, so... See, it's a trick. Okay, no, if I was was going to answer that, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is the pillar that Jacob anoints in Bethel. You got it. You got it. So look at... points to me. Look, (laughs) you got the question. (laughs) Look at Genesis 28. Let's kind of cover a few of these key points so people get it straight in their head. Uh, in Genesis 28 and verse 18, mm-hmm. it's you, you want to read that? You ready? Yeah, I got that. It says, uh, then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head. Do you reckon he used mm-hmm. it? I always wonder. Let's just stop there just for a second. Yeah. He put it at mm-hmm. his head. Do you mean he put it behind his head or did he use it as a pillow? Uh, who, who uses a stone as a pillow? Come on. Yeah. Uh, rocks are kind of hard for... I do like a firm pillow though. Um, okay. But, I, you know, it's... Uh, I don't know. Maybe there's some confusion. In the South, we call what you put your head on a pillar. You know, instead of a pillow, you've heard people... You probably have in hey, Australia. Is, is that where it comes from? Is that the etymology of the word pillow? It's Maybe the, I've never thought of that. That's great. Mm. I'm going to dwell on that. All anyway, right, he put it, he said, set, and now he, he took that stone, he set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. There it is. Okay. Now, the interesting thing about that is that the word mashak never occurs in here. And so people might say, well, Ross, you're stretching it, because really all it says is that he pours oil on it. And even though you mentioned that this is the act of anointing. The word isn't used. And I would say, aha, but go to Genesis 31. Mm-hmm. Genesis 31 and verse 13 happens to be, Jono, the first occurrence in the Hebrew Bible of the root word mashak. Go ahead and read 31, 13. Okay, so it says in 13, uh, okay, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise and get out of this land and return to the land of your family. So he so God says, okay, so you anointed the pillar, Ross. That's right. And and so this is referencing, in Genesis 31, 13, God is referencing to Jacob. He's telling him, I'm the one that you anointed the pillar, you know, and so you go, oh, you mean in Genesis 28, 18. Now, what this does for us, it, it sort of sets us on a path for proper understanding when we talk about an anointing. Mm-hmm. Because Genesis 21, I'm sorry, 28, 18 says that he set this pillar up and he poured oil on it. And Genesis 31, 13, referring back to that, says, you remember when you anointed that. So you go, okay, now we have a meaning. And it's so important that when we study a term, phrase, concept, idea in Scripture, we really ought to begin looking at where does it first occur and then follow that idea through scripture. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that makes a little sense. Now, um, one thing that, you know, to his question, he's talking about specifically, and he's asking the question, I have to assume because so many people, when they talk about biblical faith or eschatology, the study of end times things, mm. whether a person is Jewish or are Christian, or anywhere in between, because there are a lot of shades, as you know, Sure. this, this comes up, uh, you know, this idea of Messiah. I remember one time after my journey had taken me out of fundamental Christianity, a dear friend of mine, a pastor at a church, 
was was really concerned for me. You know, he he felt like I had gone too far in in this direction on this path. Mm-hmm. And he wrote me a question and it kind of made me think when we we saw this question from Travis. His question was this, do you believe still Ross that Jesus Christ is the Messiah? And that question, we know now and many of our listeners, probably all of our listeners know that the Greek word Christos uh, can be traced back from the Greek into the Hebrew. It's this same idea of being anointed. So to okay. ask someone if Christ is Messiah, the answer is, uh, regardless of one's theology, the two mean the same thing. They're just in different languages, right? All right. You, I mean, you can you can jump in, but you see, the main well, point is that the meaning uh, of the word. Yes, Not I, I, I agree what with they attached to it. Yeah, and I yeah yeah, and I I agree with what you're saying. Uh, in as far as uh, the definition of terms is concerned, I, I understand what you're saying. So, Christos, where we get Christ, is um, uh, equated to uh, Messiah, which is Mashiach. That's, that's absolutely fine. It's an anointed one, and Christians do believe that Jesus is that anointed one. But when I'm posed with that question, and I quite often am, you know, do you still believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Then I, I give the question back to them and I say, please tell me first so that we're on yeah. we're using the what same. Do you <laughs> what you mean by, by Messiah. Messiah? That's right. And you yeah. will often get a, a definition that doesn't correlate to uh, the Hebrew definition. And, and it, that's that. Now, yeah, go ahead. I was, I was going to say, and so what people often do if they come to you and they're particularly from a Christian background and and you say, look, biblically, we have a lot of messiahs. We have, uh, even in the Torah, we have this stone of Jacob, his pillar mm-hmm. that he puts up. We have right. uh, the priestly items, the things, the objects associated with the tabernacle. Look, it says it's anointed. They go, yeah, 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 yeah. But is do you believe in the, the. messiah? Right. right. Now, this is and this is what this is what Travis means when he says Messiah King. I'm glad he put those two together. And so, the, so I have two questions for you, Ross. Uh, okay. Where where is a, a a human being a Messiah, a Mashiach in the Torah? Because this is what this is the the context that That's Travis right. is putting. Okay. Uh, number two, where does the quote Messiah King, um, the Messiah King, as you put it, where? Is that concept in the Tanakh, or is it in the Torah? Uh, mm. Go for it. Man, okay, so first of all, a uh, great way to lay that out. If if we're talking about the Torah, and we're past the rocks and the wafers and the mm-hmm. objects of the tabernacle, and you say, no, 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 I want to talk about a human being that is called Mashiach. Yes. Uh, and, and the answer to that is it is only found, first of all, if in Hebrew it would be Hamashiach, and most people, a lot of people, even in Christianity, know this because a lot of these people are now Hebraically oriented, yeah, right? Sure. So you have people that speak redneckese who know what Hamashiach <laughs> is. So, so Leviticus four. Let's go there because I like to tell people this is one of the most anointed chapters uh, in the Bible, Leviticus chapter four, and. There is a phrase that occurs three times in Leviticus 4 and one time in Leviticus 6 to describe the only human office, if you will, that is called Hamashiach. And so if you look at uh, Leviticus 4, verse 3, Mm -hmm. 
If the anointed priest sins, bring, uh, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the bull's head and kill the bull before the Lord. Wait, are you going to read all of Leviticus or just... I think I just read three and four. Okay, <laughs> I'm just picking. So look at three. It says, Im hakohen hamashiach. Mm. If the anointed priest, or the priest, the anointed is the way someone would say it, but generally if we're talking about uh, proper rules of grammar and so forth, it, it really is saying the way your translation put it. If the anointed priest, but I want to point out that if you do a search with software or uh, any linguistic tool mm. for the form of the word Hamashiach, this is where you're going to find it. It's associated with the priest. So you have an anointed priest or the priest, if you will, is the anointed one, if I can say that. Now look at uh, verse five, uh, write down, you may have, you almost read it. You read through verse four, but pick up verse five and just do okay. that one. You'll see it. Five, uh, then the anointed priest shall take some of the, uh, the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. Yep. And that's, that's their, that's our phrase again. It, it says in the Hebrew, it says, Hakon Hamashiach, the anointed priest or the priest, the anointed one. And then if uh, if you look at verse 16, uh, we see the same thing. And the priest that is anointed, or Hakon Hamashiach. The other reference, just so that people, some people actually listen to what we say, and they write down notes, and it, it helps them. Um, and that would be in Leviticus chapter 6 and verse 16. 15. Now, there's a difference in the Hebrew and English, Jono. So if you're in an English Bible, I think it's verse 22 of chapter 6. I am in an English Bible, and I'll tell you what 22 says here. The priest from among his sons, who is anointed in his place, mm -hmm. shall offer it. Uh, it is a statute forever uh, to the Lord. It shall be holy burned. Ross. Yes, and, and in the Hebrew here, notice in the English, it's separated. And the priest from among his sons, who is anointed... In Hebrew, that phrase is exactly like it was in the other three in Leviticus 4. It says, Vahakon uh, HaMashiach. So it's the anointed priest uh, and now, then the rest of that sentence. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let me get this straight. We're talking, about, um, we're talking about a priest that is anointed. We can say that this priest is a Messiah. We can say that this is the high priest that it's talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Where in the Torah does it talk about... Because we know that, that the priests are uh, they're descendants of Levi, okay, the son of mm -hmm. Jacob, they're descendants of Levi. Um, and in this case, uh, the, the high priest is a descendant of, um, a selected descendant of, of Aaron, who is mm -hmm. a descendant of Levi. We know that the, the kingship is of the descendants of Judah. Where does it talk about the Messiah king? Where, where does it talk about the anointed descendant of Judah in the Torah, Ross? The anointed descendant of Judah in the Torah. You're looking for something that specific? I think I think that's what Travis wants to know. Where in the Torah do we see the concept of a Messiah king? I jokingly said, after you read his question, it's not there. Um, perhaps, Jonah, you know of something that I don't in in regards to this specific question. No, so I when, do know. Yeah, well, I was, I was just going to say, when it comes to, ahead. you know, sort of types and shadows and hints and winks and all that sort of stuff, 
Um, right. Certain theology may point to uh, Genesis chapter 17, uh, where it says, uh, you know, it says, I think Sarah will be the mother of, uh, that kings will come from her, um, yeah. kings of people. Uh, or Numbers chapter 24, where where the oracle is given, you know, about the star shall rise. Bilam, um, shall, yeah. Bilam and all of that. But but specifically, uh, a commandment to um, uh, to have a an anointed king the question is, do we see that in Torah? Now, maybe before we get into that, Ross, mm-hmm. uh, because you began, we, <laughs> you joke, as you were saying, you jokingly began, yeah, it's not there. It's not in the first five books. It's not in the Pentateuch. Right. Let's move on. Um, the question might become, and I'll leave this to you if you want, if you want to go here first or, or how you want to do this, but the question then becomes, uh, where, where does this concept start? Where do we first see this concept in the Tanakh, if not in the Torah, um, just by way of, of defining exactly what we're talking about. Where do you want to go with this? Well, uh, you're right. There's so many ways to go, but I think it's fair to the question that Travis has posed to suggest mm. that um, there. Let me touch on something you said, first of all, about the types and shadows. There are a lot of texts which people call messianic. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and by that, I, I remember um, in my Christian days, there were, you know, lists. And I think you've done some pretty incredible programs on all of those prophecies which people claim point to the Messiah. Truth of the matter is, there are a lot of, look, look at my air quotes here, messianic prophecies in the Torah which are not messianic at all. Sure. Uh, meaning that the word Messiah never is used. Mm. And particularly when it comes to the monarchy, like you said, there are passages which indicate that there will be kings who come from the patriarchs and matriarchs. Absolutely. And they will be instrumental in God's plan. But it doesn't mention anything about anointing. In fact, it's fair to bring up that even in Deuteronomy 17, verse 14 and following, which is that passage in the Torah which deals with the making of a mm. king, the word uh, anoint never occurs there. doesn't mean that the king will not be anointed, but understand it just doesn't say, and you shall pour the doesn't oil upon him. So, so that's an interesting. That is so. Let's let's get back to that. So you mentioned Deuteronomy chapter seventeen, and people who know the Torah well would be right from the very beginning of this program will be going, "Dude, Deuteronomy chapter seventeen verses fourteen right. to twenty. Come on, all right." Yeah. But I want to get. We'll, we'll get there uh, last. I want to jump to just for a second because I would say if someone asked me where does this concept begin, an anointed, uh, an anointed, and, and not just a anointed king, but the mm-hmm. Messiah king, the anointed okay. king, I, I would go to. Uh, Second um, Samuel chapter seven and uh, verses. Let me get this here. Twelve and on. So let me just and, and maybe you can think of one that's earlier that that is uh, clearer in as far as a like the Messiah King, the one that everyone has a focus on in in uh, Christianity and, and Judaism. That and, I think. And give uh, me your reference. Give me your reference one more time. Second Samuel. Second Samuel seven. 7 yeah, okay. twelve. Twelve and on. So it's, and this is the prophet Nathan is talking to David, and he says, "When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will." Set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name. And we, we know this is obviously talking about Solomon. Uh, mm-hmm. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And if he commits iniquity, I will chasten him. 
and so on and so forth. And then it comes down to 16. It says, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. The the uh, the throne shall be established forever. So forever is uh, repeated three times in that in that passage. And when we're talking about, again, in, in the air quotes, the Messiah King, I yeah. think that uh, everyone agrees that, that uh, this is a passage uh, in reference to the Messiah King and as far as the enduring forever, uh, that kingship is concerned. Would you agree with that? Well, and, and let me let me keep going with what you're saying, because as you pointed out, uh, whether a person is from a Jewish perspective or a Christian perspective, they would be able to sing out of that hymnal, as we say. They would say, yes, sure. it's a descendant of David. In fact, Jono, on that point, look at Psalm 18. Uh, I think it's verse 50. Um, let's see. It ties in with this promise to David. Okay. Uh, and verse 51, if you're in the Hebrew Bible, but but just read that verse. 18 and 50. Mm-hmm. Uh, great deliverance. He gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forevermore. Yeah, good point. Yeah, so that passage I like because it underscores what you just pointed out in Second Samuel chapter 7, where David is told, not only is this just, uh, you know, he was selected. In fact, God, when he talks to uh, Samuel about replacing Saul, one of the things that he makes clear is he says, I have found uh, my king among Jesse's sons. And right. so here we have again, and to your point, from this point forward, from David, we get sort of a dynastic um, bloodline, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the descendants of David. And and so the king, and, and by the way, this plays out, Jono, as you know, all the way through the biblical period even after the exile into the second temple period and finds its way into uh, uh, Christian literature, Jewish literature, and so forth, everybody is looking for the son of David, right? Right. And that that becomes the moniker, if you will, of the Messiah. Yeah. Is that the right word? Moniker, yeah. I like it. Yeah, uh, I had to write that down. I might be able to put that in my (laughs) book, man. Okay, Uh, so, so... So I'm with you there. I think you're absolutely right. I think I think this is where the concept comes from. This is the promise that uh, the Messiah of the everlasting kingdom will be a descendant of David and Solomon. It comes from that passage there, and it's carried on through. Um, not all the way into Christianity. They're, they're quite happy for... This is why when, when your garden variety Christian says, well, do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? And you say to them, well, define to me the Messiah. It becomes a little bit gray, because if they were to go back here and then follow that through and look at the genealogies... Well, then we run into some problems. We don't have time to do that in the show. That's um, right. N- nevertheless, it, it's it's a major focus. But you just mentioned, of course, that Samuel uh, Samuel anointed Saul. There were issues. Uh, Samuel then anointed under the direction of God, anointed David. Uh, let's mm-hmm. talk about Samuel for a second, because okay, um, even before Saul, even before David, the idea of a Messiah king, or or let's not say a Messiah, I guess an anointed king. Well, yeah, we can do that. Oh, um, I know where you're going. Is first is first presented to to uh, Samuel, First uh, Samuel. Whereabouts, Ross? What, what are we going to do here? Oh, wait a minute! I thought you were going earlier. Should we? Ooh. Let's. Yeah. What if? Go what on. if I told you? Because we know that Saul is the first one who's anointed, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and we know that that's the result of the people saying. We want a king like the nations. They and had really high voices back then. They did have all of them, all of them. We know this now through archaeological work. But they all said it in unison. And 
and the response was was really interesting. We won't necessarily go into this, but but just to touch on it, the idea was considered from First Samuel chapter eight when they first make their high pitched request. (laughs) It was at that time that they were told, you know, Samuel is upset. He says, you know, they've asked for a king like the nations. And those are their words. Mm. And he says, he cries out to Jehovah and he says, oh, they've done this and they've rejected me. And God says, not only in first Samuel eight, but this goes through, uh, particularly chapter 10, chapter 12 and chapter 15 of first Samuel, that ultimately, in requesting a king like the nations, they really rejected God as their king because yeah, I mean, he, really, he says as much. He says that, he's the king. He's the king, yeah. and he says, "It's not you that rejected; it's me." Uh, and in, yet, go ahead. And yet, go ahead. I'm sorry. Unfortunately for us, or maybe fortunately, this is, it's an interesting thing. Uh, we demand something, and God is like, um, you know, I'm just saying, if this ha- you know, if, if I give this to you, this is what this is the way it's going to look, uh, mm-hmm. and it's not real rosy. And they go, well, we want it anyway. We want it. Well, okay, well, if you want it, all right. And I warned you, you can have it. There's a certain libertarian approach, I think, um, yeah. that that God enables us with and doesn't get in the way of. Uh, that's a different discussion as well. But well, uh, they insist upon it, Ross. They do. They do. And and I was going to find one verse. Let me let me look for just a second, because in in line with this selection of of uh, of Saul in first Samuel 15, I I remember this verse. Let me see if I remember where it's at. Um, first Samuel 15 and verse 18. This is just a cool, cool bit of trivia here. First Samuel 15, verse 17. And Samuel said, now he's talking to Saul, though you were little in your own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And Hashem anointed you king over Israel. Notice there's the phrase anointed you king. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, And Jehovah sent you on a journey and said, go and utterly destroy those sinners, the men of Amalek. So I often use this in my discussions with people. Do you know that the first king Messiah, this is for Travis. I I know Travis likes to spar, so he can use this with his friends and, and family that uh, the first uh, mission, if you will, of the King Messiah in the Tanakh is to destroy sinners, which is pretty contrary to what most people believe the Messiah's role is, is it not? Is to destroy... The sinners. It's all, just a game. I, mean, I thought it's you a, said centers. Yeah, I thought he just going to go destroy centers everywhere. No, it's the accent. Destroy sinners. Um, yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the anointed king is, is referred to as uh, a commander of the army, right? And and so and his mandate is to go and destroy sinners. Okay. Yeah, so there you go. So uh, contrary to what most people believe, look, a lot of ideas began to develop uh, about the Messiah. It takes center stage. We're going to we're going to show people in just a few minutes just the earliest reference to a king Messiah. And most people miss this because if I ask people uh, uh, get out your paper and pen right now. In fact, we're going to do this we want people to write down what their answer is. Who is the first King Messiah in the Tanakh? And and what would most people say? We'll give them two seconds. I, I think they'd say Saul. I think that would be okay. people's... That's uh, right. That's, that's probably what they'd say. Now, what if, what if we can show them one that occurs much earlier in the Bible? And I would 
I would pro- it become I would the book of it, Judges. You got it in the book of Judges. So if we go to Judges chapter eight, mm-hmm. now this, by the way, um, is really an ancient parable. Uh, I like to call it in my classes the first parable of the Bible. Most people associate that outside of the Tanakh, but this is sort of a parable. But I want to begin and just pick up one verse in chapter eight of Judges, verse twenty-two. Yeah, so 1 Samuel 8, 22, just to set the table. Then the men of Israel said to Gedon, Rule thou, now by the way, in Hebrew it's mashal, um, Rule thou over us, both you and your son, and your son's sons also, for you've delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gedon said, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. Jehovah shall rule over you. Now this is the answer that should be given when this is proposed to a person. And and this is what the biblical writer wants us to know, Hmm. is that Gidon is offered this dynastic rule because he's a great warrior. And and he refuses. He said, I'm not going to do it. Neither are my sons nor my son's sons because God is the king. And that's the same answer that Samuel gives. It's the same answer. That's the ultimate principle, and you see that throughout the Bible, that ultimately, remember Zechariah 14, 9, and, and, uh, and in that day, um, uh, Hashem, or Jehovah, will be one in his name, one. he will rule over you, and so forth. But we're going to get to this parable, so look at chapter 9. Well, even um, even before we uh, okay. we go there, um, yeah, it, it, that is the right answer that that Gideon should should give. But as we go down just a little bit further into verse thirty, Gideon had okay. seventy sons who were his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also mm-hmm. bore him a son whose name he called he called Avimelech. Mm-hmm. What is the meaning of that of that name? Avimelech. Yeah, it's my father is king. Avimelech. Hmm. Uh, interesting name. It's almost as if the writer wants us to get something out of the story at all levels here. It's uh, um, yeah, nine. very, very interesting. And so Avimelech, we're talking about Gidon, and the story goes on, and there is this horrible slaughter that's mentioned. These 71 hmm. of them escapes, um, and then we want to pick up with the parable, and then you can... You know, if you want to talk about more than that, we can. But it begins. No, no, in verse I was just going to. Yeah, it begins yep. verse eight. So this is this is because I was in. So we're now in uh, Judges chapter nine, uh, verse eight is where this uh, parable kicks in. And I was just going to say, speaking of the tour, as we were kicking off this program, it really is quite. Um, uh, I don't know what what would be the word. I mean, when we were there at uh, in Israel at Elon Moray, looking down over Shechem yeah. uh, mm-hmm. at a great height, looking down and and recounting. Uh, this story and the parable uh, in the place that it would have been shouted down upon um, right. the men of Shechem. Oh, uh, it really and, is and incredible. That, that's that's the reason we really want people to go with us is because we bring people to these places and we we sometimes act it out. I mean, we've done this where I play Goliath and you play David, remember? <laughs> I seem to recall that you were David and I was Goliath okay, and yeah, you threw yeah, a rock right, at me. That's right. <laughs> in the but, that's, but you're right, though, the the power in, I mean, people that, most people who would listen to us are very knowledgeable about the Bible, but to take these stories 
and read them and even sometimes act them out in mm. these in particular places. In the context of where they happen. Really, yeah. there's nothing like mm -hmm. Good stuff. All right, go for it. Um, uh, okay. Chapter 9, verse, Judges chapter 9, verse 8. Yep. <clears throat> okay. So um, here we go. And we're talking about Mount Grazim where this takes place. It says, the trees went out to anoint a king. Now, let me stop there for a second, Jono. This, by the way, if if you're in ever in a trivia game and someone says, what is the first time that the word mashak is used, anoint, outside mm. of the Torah? Remember, Torah only knows about an anointed priest. priest. But the first time anointed occurs outside of the Torah is right here. Judges oh, okay. chapter 9, verse 8, and notice... Yeah that it is associated no longer with a priest, Jonah, but now it's with a king. Mm -hmm. So here we go. The trees went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, should I leave my fatness, which by me, they honor God and man and go to hold sway over the trees. I love that phrase. Mm -hmm. And the tree said to the fig tree, come thou, Reign over us, but the fig tree said to them, Should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit and go to hold sway over the trees? Then said the trees to the vine, Come thou and reign over us. And the vine said to them, Should I leave my wine, which cheers God and man, and go hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, Come now and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in truth you anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. I almost want to say this with a sinister voice. Mm. And if not, fire will issue from the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now, therefore, if you've done truly and sincerely in making Avimelech king, and if you have dwelt, dealt well with Yerubalal, in his house, uh, and have done to him according to the deserving of his hands, for my father fought for you, and so forth and so on. Um, basically, we get this beautiful parable where various trees are offered to give up their station and rule over and hold sway over the others. Hmm. And one after another, they recognize that that's not what they were created for. Yeah. Ultimately, it's the bramble that says, I'll take that top spot. Isn't that interesting? Mm, I wonder mm -hmm. if we could make any correlation in the world today. Are any political <laughs> leaders <laughs> like get political? Oh, no, we won't. Oh, man. But, but, <laughs> no, but the idea, yeah, the idea, though, really is it's telling. The writers of the Bible uh, are sort of anti um, individual rulership, a king, mm. if you will. And you do get that undercurrent. I mean, even if you look at Deuteronomy 17, which does authorize a king, there are certain rules that have to be in place, you know? And if well, you read 17, it's it's interesting. Yeah. Now, you said it does authorize. I, I'd like to – I do want to get there. Um, okay. Just Just curiously, I'm trying to remember, and I can't seem to recall off the top of my head, Gideon, where, what tribe was he from? Mm, good trivia question. I don't remember. 
Oh, someone know, can put that in the comments. So it's skipping my mind. I know that yeah. Saul yeah. Uh, is is from uh, the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, uh-huh. David, of course, from Judah. Um, you mentioned, uh, of course, Samuel and and Saul and and David. Um, we've gone to where the people demand a, a king like the nations. Um, that was none too favorable with uh, with Samuel. Certainly not with God. He does refer to it, in fact, as wickedness somewhere a little further on in the text. Uh, yeah. And we're and we're about to talk now about. Deuteronomy 17 verses 14 to 20, but it would be, I think, remiss if we didn't go a little further. Is it is it 1 Samuel chapter 10? Uh, there are several where it talks about the rejecting, you mean? No, what I want to talk about now is how oh, do we oh, end up with Deuteronomy uh, chapter 17 verse 14 uh, to 20? Because you is it a prescription no. of a king or is it just the instruction for... Because uh, it, it's sort of like a hypothetical. You know, when you go into the land... And then you say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll set yeah. up a king over it. Okay, it's not like yeah. this is something This is something that is commanded to be done. Where does this passage come from in the middle of – it's almost okay. out of context of the text. Let's talk yeah. about white spaces. Let's I, talk about uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 10, I think. Yeah, you're right. And and before we actually give them the verse, because we, we ought to uh, build up to that just a second, because Go ahead. what's so interesting is that in Deuteronomy 17, and most people, if they talk about – in fact, if someone were to ask if Travis were to ask this question to people, a lot a lot of people who really know the text very well, they might bring you to Deuteronomy 17 and say, "Okay, here's the authorization to have a king. It says sure. you can, and and therefore uh, we know that the kings are anointed. So voila, here it is. You you see this and so forth." But it, what's interesting to me, and this this came out in, in my recent study, you and I discussed this quite a bit on the phone in past conversations, is that when in 1 Samuel 8, when the people first asked Samuel to make them a king like the nations, mm. which is, by the way, pretty much exactly what Deuteronomy 17, 14 says is going to happen— Samuel doesn't act like he knows about it. Does that make sense? I mean, he yeah, he, does, he doesn't say, well, of course, I mean, you know, we're in the well, land it now. Says you're going to ask for it, and I guess yeah, this yeah. is it. And, and this is it, and therefore that. these are the things that he's going to have to do, and da da da. He, there, there's mm-hmm. no citing of this passage by Samuel. And you'd think if, there was, right. a, if there was an opportunity to cite this passage, Now's the time to do it, Samuel, and this is the way that uh, that it should be prescribed. We don't see that at all. Keep going. And and even if Samuel forgot about it, or you know, I'm not making light, but even if Samuel didn't, when he called to God and said, "Hey, the people have asked for a king like the nations," even if he didn't recall that, it seems the that people? that would be a perfect place. For God to say, or or even hey, the people to say, yeah, for God to say, yeah, yeah well, of yeah, course, yeah. you know, I said, and if you have a look in Deuteronomy, then here it is. This is what I said, and I can remind you. Or if if Samuel's saying, well, really, I mean, come on, and the people should be saying, yeah, dude, look in Deuteronomy chapter seventeen, verses fourteen to twenty, right. and it says this. Come on, there's none of yeah, that. They could, so they they could say, why are you so mad at us? It <laughs> said we could do this. All we're doing is fulfilling the Torah, but none of that happens. It's as if when the events of 1 Samuel 8 and following take place and the request comes forward, it's as if no one has ever heard about this. Mm -hmm. So this was a curiosity for me. I I couldn't understand, and I'm doing a study and part of writing what I'm writing. And so I, I was doing a study one day, and I find in 1 Samuel chapter 10, uh, now by the way, 1 Samuel 10 tells the story 
Uh, we've gotten to the point where the people have asked, and and now we're at the process of selecting the king. Mm-hmm. And you recall that Benjamin, I mean, that Shaul from the tribe of Benjamin, seems to be humble. He doesn't want it. He's like, ah, my people are kind of a small people, and he's hiding in the baggage. And, you know, it's like he's, everything looks in order. And, and what God tells Samuel um, is that he has to anoint, uh, in fact, verse 24 of 1 Samuel 10, hmm. Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom Jehovah has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted and said, long live the king. Then Samuel, this is, by the way, the white space occurs right here. And then verse yep. 25 picks up. Then Samuel told the people, and I'm going to read the English, the rules of the kingdom and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Now that seems to be, yeah, it's just, I mean, I've read over that a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. But in the Hebrew, um, it's interesting. It says, uh, and, and Saul spoke to the people. Uh, the mishpat hamlucha, the uh, judgment of the kingdom, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then it says, vayitov b'sefer, and he wrote it in the scroll, and he caused it to rest before Jehovah. Right. Now, to me, I, I find this striking because there's whatever scroll this is talking about that Samuel ultimately, now remember, God tells him, Look, you write the rules concerning the kingship and you put it in the scroll and and that's what happens. And then it says that Samuel lays it before Jehovah. Well, that's a very technical term in the Torah, as we should know. Ultimately, to put something before the Lord is in the holy precinct, right? Mm -hmm. Now, there's only one scroll that we know of from the Torah that's there, and that's the scroll that Moses wrote. Right. Now, I know that this may challenge some traditional views, but I believe, for what it's worth, that the reason the people were so surprised that the people didn't say, hey, the Torah told us we could do this and now we're doing it. The reason Samuel doesn't say, hey, you know, uh, the Torah said it. I didn't want it to happen, but here we are. We've reached that point. And the reason that God doesn't say, why are you so mad, Samuel? Relax. I told you in Deuteronomy 17 is because it doesn't exist in Deuteronomy Mm -hmm. until this point. Now, that's that's my view. That may, well, it's, that? it's not just your view. I'm compelled by it. And uh, you first brought this to me some time ago, and I, and, and I have to say this makes perfect sense, Ross, because otherwise we're left with, then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty, wrote it in the book, da-da-da-da-da, and we're, we're here in Samuel going, well, what is it? <laughs> Are yeah. you seriously not going to tell right. us what it yeah. is? What is yeah. the secret? Where is that scroll? What are you talking about? No, but he he included it with the scroll. And uh, over time, it's not difficult to imagine that uh, it became sewn into the document of uh, the scroll of the Torah of Moses. Now, let's just take a quick break here and just give us an overview of what you're doing each Shabbat, uh, just the series that you're doing at the moment. Okay. I just, if you recall, just completed um, a 12-part series that I called Torah. And, uh, and in that series, you go, well, what could you possibly cover in 12 classes? In 12 classes, um, what I did was I was looking for a very clear answer and a very specific outcome. 
Uh, tradition says, this is in a nutshell, tradition says that Moses wrote from Genesis chapter 1-1 through Deuteronomy 34-12. And uh, we have references to that in Jewish literature. Tradition has really put this forward. Not only Judaism, but Christianity also believes that. But if you look closely at the text, and this is what I bring out in 12 classes, I, I think it's fairly methodical and, and structured in such a way that it's uh, conveyed over that many weeks. Uh, but ultimately, what I'm looking for is, does Moses, first of all, do, do the five books, the Pentateuch, do they say that Moses wrote all five? And the answer to that is no. We have 600 and some odd third-person references in the Torah. In other words, it says, and the Lord spoke unto Moses. Generally, that's not the way one would write if they were writing the story themselves. They would say, the Lord spoke unto me. Who wrote about Moses' death? It says in Deuteronomy 34 that Moses died and God buried him. Well, so these questions really got to me, and I started looking, and I found quickly, I'll say I found seven references in the Torah, the five books, which tell us what Moses wrote, and mm -hmm. then I went to find them. There are four different ways that this scroll of Moses is referred to. There are more than 42 references to those three or four phrases. All of this information points to a single book a scroll that Moses wrote with his own hand. And over the course of 12 courses, 12 classes, one hour, uh, I identify what that book is. So if mm. people haven't heard it, they ought to check it out. Now we're moving this coming Shabbat to a new series that I'm calling Prophet, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, not P-R-O-F-I-T, but the other kind. <laughs> So, but listen, where where do they go? Just uh, where do they go to, to catch up on that uh, twelve part series? Because every single uh, episode of that Ross is riveting, and people should listen to it. Where can they go? The easiest place is the United Israel website, which is unitedisrael.org, and they can pull up and okay. and the series is right there on the front page, so they can we'll simply go back to class one work their way through. We will put a link uh, underneath this post. Um, all right, so there's that. Now, so it's e so as I um, say, I, I think it's easy to uh, come to the conclusion that the conduct of royalty that Samuel has outlined um, and put with the scroll uh, eventually was sewn into the, the canon of Deuteronomy, if I can say it that way. Is that fair, do you think? That That is very fair. And Jono, if we have just a few more minutes, I want to show what uh, what kind of alerts us to that. If you look at the text, if you were to begin, uh, for instance, in Deuteronomy 17, and you pick up in verse 8, uh, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but notice if there's a, a matter that's too hard for you in judgment between blood and blood, plea and plea, between plague and plague, matters of controversy within your gates, and you shall arise and go up to the place where Jehovah your God shall choose, and you shall come to the priests, the Levites, and so forth. Now, the next, from this point in, beginning in verse 8 of 17, following the white space, that is the natural, the original divisions of the text, and you go down and you get to verse 13, all of that has to do with the subject of the responsibility of the Levites, right? Mm -hmm. And then if you 
you notice there's a white space, meaning that there's a strange break in the text for one reason or another. And I'm going to skip down to the next white space. And if you go to Deuteronomy 18.1 and you pick it up, it says the priest, the Levites, all the tribe of Levi hmm. shall have no part. Now, what I find strange is that what is up to verse 13 deals Same. with Levitical priest. Mm-hmm. And then if you pick up again at 18.1 at the next white space, you pick up with priests and Levites. Mm -hmm. But in the middle, separated, as it were, by white spaces, you almost see an intrusion into the text. I'm not suggesting it's not. In fact, we just read in 1 Samuel 10.25 that God tells Samuel to put this in the scroll. Mm Mm-hmm. I think this is where he put it, or it's yeah. where it ended up. It's where it ended uh, up, as I say. It was so very new. interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. Um, what else have you got on your mind as far as uh, where we're up to? I, I just wanted to bring one thing up. What what has happened is the concept of Messiah has evolved over time, mm-hmm. um, and and we just showed even from a biblical perspective from the five books, uh, we don't know of a human that's called the Anointed One other than the priest, you know, even if people don't buy our theory about what happened with Deuteronomy 17, even there you don't mention Messiah. So priest HaKon HaMashiach is the only uh, understandable part of a human being a an anointed one. Now, interestingly enough, when you go, as we pointed out, when you get out of the Torah, the first reference to Messiah as a king, it's like it's evolved into something different. And it's not really uh, looked at in a favorable way by the mm. writers. From the from the time we encounter the first king in the parable, which is a bramble, until God saying that it is a rejection of his rulership, there's a negative assessment of the monarchy. Mm-hmm. But over time, Messiah becomes the central focus, so much so that in the Talmud, it ultimately says that all the prophets— prophesied not but of the days of the Messiah. And then there's another reference in the Talmud that says the world was not created but only for the Messiah. It becomes such an integral part of people's understanding Mm. of eschatology that it ultimately becomes the question. Mm. And I suggest that that's not the main question anyway. In fact, there's a very interesting text. Uh, and by the way, as you're turning to Psalm 105, go to Psalm 105, uh, yep. and I'll, I'll bring up uh, one other thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Ultimately, ultimately, uh, Judaism put, uh, in Maimonides, put these as one of the primary articles of the faith. And that is, I believe in perfect faith in the coming of the Messiah. And though he tarry, I wait for him every day. Uh, It becomes the longing of the heart is to see the coming of the Messiah. And I don't think that's the primary mover. Okay, so if we go to Psalm 105, and I just want to pick up um, verse 12. When they were but a few men in number of little account and sojourners there, when they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another people, he suffered no man to do them wrong. He reproved kings for their sakes, saying, touch not my anointed one and do my prophets no harm. Ultimately, 
if you look in context, what Psalm 105 is doing, it is pointing to the people, the people of God as the anointed. And I think this is an interesting idea that people need to consider is that rather than look for a singular figure, whether it's as the Talmud presents the Either he'll come on a horse or he's coming on a donkey. Is he coming from the dead? Rather than look at the Messiah as a Superman figure, the biblical account seems to suggest that there is a people that are to be anointed for a special purpose. And and to tie back to where we started with the priest, the people that are called to be the anointed people are the priestly kingdom. Fair enough. I like where you leave that. That's that's good. I was going to say, uh, just in that regard, um, because it says in First Samuel chapter 8, uh, God says, look, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me as king over them. Mm. Uh, it's not really licensed for anyone to go up to, to a Christian or, or uh, someone in Ju- a Jew in Judaism and say, you've rejected God as king. That's why you have such a major focus on Messiah and you, you think that right. the Messiah is good. Uh, Wouldn't probably do that um, on an individual basis. That's probably not the case. Um, yeah. Theologically, over over you know millennia of tradition sure uh that's a thing but i guess it, what what it reminds me of ross uh is jeremiah chapter 16 if i can go there just quickly yeah 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 uh just where it says that surely our fathers have inherited lies worthlessness and unprofitable things will a man make gods for himself which are not gods so on and so forth and i would say that this is just one of those things that have developed over time and it's not necessarily a reflection of an individual rejecting God as king. In fact, there's a whole lot of theology there in particular for, for Christianity um, that, that makes that somewhat convoluted. Yeah, so, but let me, let me, I know we, we need to wrap this up and, and uh, we said it would be short, but this is what happens when Jonah and Ross talk Bible. Let me throw yeah. in two more real quick. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, just, just so people kind of have these in their notes and it's for consideration in Hosea, Chapter 8, verse 4, it says, They have set up kings, but not from me. They have made princes, and I knew it not. I think that's a powerful indictment, uh, and it lines up with what we've covered in, in this short answer to our good friend Travis's question. And then the final point I think I'd like to close my part with is what if someone asked me, uh, but are, are you looking for a king? I would say absolutely. I'm looking for a king, and the king is described in numerous texts in the Bible. The one that I, I think I would like to read is uh, Zechariah 14, verse 9. Mm-hmm. And Jehovah shall be king over all the earth. On that day, Jehovah will be, be one and his name one. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, I think where we're going is... The people forsook God in their asking for a king like the nations, air quote. That's a bad thing. They're not supposed to be like the nations. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately the goal is that after this is realized that the people will return to God and he alone, just like Gedon, just like in the parable that we read, that's what's going to happen is the response is going to be, no, we're not going to be your king nor my son's. Jehovah is the king. Good stuff. That is that program. Thank you so much, Travis. Really good question. And uh, glad we could have a poke at that one. Uh, We have a whole lot of other questions, as I mentioned earlier in the program. But we would love for you, dear listener, to give us your question. What is on your mind? 
uh, just um, flick it to us. Put it in the comments section of uh, this post and we will endeavor to get to it uh, when we can. Hey, thanks, Travis. I appreciate the question. We're looking Sorry, forward to some of the other ones too. There's no telling what they can throw at it. You've already made it clear. Nothing is out of bounds. Nothing is too taboo. And whoo, man, but, there's no telling what us. they're going to come. Yeah, try <laughs> That's right. I right. hope you enjoyed it. it. Hope you enjoyed it, dear listener. Until next time, have a great one. Bye. Have a beautiful week.